So this morning we are in week three of a sermon series that we're calling Critical Conversations. What we're doing in this series is we're exploring some of the final conversations that Jesus had with his disciples uh, before his death, resurrection, and ascension. But as we kind of get started here this morning, I just have a question, and the question is this. Has anyone ever been to Cedar Point before? Anyone ever been to, to Cedar Point? A few of you have been to Cedar Point before. All right, well, Cedar Point is an amusement park in northern Ohio. It's like five hours away from here, so a little bit of a drive. But uh, when I was growing up in Ohio, uh, our family, we lived about an hour and a half away from Cedar Point. And so we would often go a couple of times every summer to that amusement park. Now, I brought a picture with me this morning of a ride from Cedar Point, and this ride is called the Demon Drop. Now, um, a couple of, about a year and a half ago, Malachi, uh, my son, and I, we went together to Cedar Point, and the Demon Drop wasn't there anymore. And, and, and I guess I, I, I asked around a little bit, I did a little research, I guess they actually moved it to Pennsylvania uh, to an amusement park there. But when I was growing up, the Demon Drop was a ride that we all just loved to ride. And what they would do is, it's not a very long ride, but you would get like four people in a box car, and they would get you harnessed in, and then they would take you straight up in the air, kind of like you were going up in an elevator. And then when you got to the highest point, when you got to the top, they would take you out on this little ledge, and they would immediately drop you down about four or five inches, and you would stop. Now, the first time that I rode this ride, they dropped down just a little bit, and I thought we were going right then. But we didn't. We stopped for a second there. And they keep you there. You're just suspended in the air. You're hanging there in midair for a, a few seconds. And then, without warning, they just drop you. And you feel like you are in an elevator. And it, it's just like a free fall. And you get to the bottom. It's like five, six stories high. You get to the bottom and you hit this curve. You, you start to slow down and you stop. But, but this is a free fall. And people pay to get on a ride like this. And this, uh, what first came to my mind, um, you know, I think about this and, and I think about riding this ride. And, um, you know, it only takes a few minutes or a few seconds to ride this ride. This ride is a safe ride. It is a predictable ride because Cedar Point is a reputable uh, amusement park and they have all of these safety checks and all these safety regulations that they have to follow. And when you go to a place like this, they don't have these long lines of ambulances running to the, uh, the, the exits with people who have been crushed by this thing. In fact, lots of people, they're getting off this ride and they are smiling and they are laughing and they are having a good time. And so this is a little bit scary, but it is a controlled environment and everybody's going to be okay. But a lot of times when we find ourselves in a free fall, it is not predictable and it is not a controlled environment. And as I read this section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, John chapter 14, just the opening verses or the opening words there, the opening sentence, I realize something that Jesus' disciples are in a free fall. And this is not predictable, and this is not controllable. They have no idea what is about to happen next. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app. But I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14. The opening sentence of this chapter begins like this. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You read that and you think, well, what's going on here? I got a a picture of a model that has been made of Jerusalem. And uh, when Jesus was saying this in Jesus' day, what what this would have looked like. And you look at this model and you get kind of an idea of what's going on there. But there's a temple in the front, the foreground there. and, And it is kind of central to the landscape there. And then you'll also notice that there are these houses all around the city. Jesus and his disciples are in one of these houses, and they are in an upstairs room at this moment. In this room, there are gathered uh, these disciples and Jesus around this U-shaped table, and they are having a meal together. They are most likely reclining at that table. They are most likely laying on their sides together at that table and eating the food together. These guys are gathered around this table, and the guys who are there are James and John. They're the brothers. Uh, Their brothers are fishermen. They had uh, been on the Sea of Galilee. There's Peter and Andrew. They're also brothers, and they too were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. There's Thomas and Philip and Bartholomew. There's Matthew, who was a former tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. That's 11 of the guys. There's another guy by the name of Judas Iscariot. He's left at this point in the night. As they're there at this meal together, Jesus drops this bomb and he says, you know what, one of you is going to betray me. He doesn't say one of you is going to abandon me or one of you is going to desert me. He says, no, one of you is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to go to the authorities and turn me over to them. And soon after that, Judas then leaves the room. Jesus is going to get stabbed in the back by one of the guys who had traveled around with him for three years. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, listen, let not your hearts be troubled. We read that in chapter 14 and verse 1, but if we just kind of backed up a little bit into chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus would say something like this. He would say, guys, I'm going away to a place where you can't come with me. I'm going to be traveling and I'm going to have to travel this road alone. I am leaving you and you cannot come along with me in this. Peter, who's there, says, oh no, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Uh, Jesus, you know what? If they're going to kill you, they're going to have to kill me first. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that's not going to happen. In fact, Peter, before tomorrow morning, before the sun even breaks through the morning sky, you are going to disown me three times. And in the context of this heavy, heavy conversation, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Because let me tell you, Their hearts were troubled. At the end of the evening, they are going to travel through some narrow streets of the city. They are going to go out on the outskirts of the town. They they are going to go down into this little valley called the Kidron Valley. They're going to come back up the other side. And they are going to be in an orchard called the Garden of Gethsemane. And there Jesus is going to be arrested. 
And Jesus will be dragged off to face this trial that is going to go on throughout the night. The scriptures tell us that during that nighttime trial, he will be punched and he will be kicked and he will be spit upon and beaten up. And then he is going to be nailed to a Roman cross next morning at nine o'clock. Now, I don't know what time it is when this critical conversation takes place between Jesus and his disciples, but Judas leaves the room and it says that it was night. And so I'm guessing that it's somewhere around 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And Jesus dies at 3 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And so when he is having this conversation with his disciples, it's like 15, 16 hours of his life that are left. All hell is about to break loose. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He looks them in the eyes and he says, when you find yourself in a free fall that is unpredictable and uncontrollable, when you find that you are, uh, you find yourself just devastated by the circumstances of life, I am telling you, let not your hearts be troubled. And I think what he has to say next in this critical conversation is not only essential for them, but it's essential for us today as well. I wonder, have you ever found yourself in a free fall? I mean, you don't need to raise your hand here this morning, but I'm just curious, how many of you this morning feel this trouble in your hearts? She's 32 years old. She's been in a relationship for three years now, and this relationship implodes. She had another relationship a few years earlier that didn't last. It only lasted a few years. It didn't work out either. She starts wondering, hey, am I ever going to find the right guy? Is this ever going to work out? Jesus whispers, let not your hearts be troubled. Dad is forgetting things. I mean, he's always forgot some things, but this time it's different. He's forgetting people that he should know. He's going places and getting disoriented in places where he's been a long time, a lot, many times before. You and your siblings are sitting there and you start to make a little bit of eye contact. And you don't have this lengthy conversation, but you're all wondering the same thing. Is this the start of dementia? Are we going to find ourselves in a free fall here as a family? And Jesus whispers to his disciples and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. The winds of change are blowing through your office, and this is the smell of change that you've smelled before. <laughs> you've seen this happen before. You start to wonder, is my department even going to be around six months from now? I have a mortgage. I have bills to pay. I have a family at home who is depending upon me to have a job. What am I going to do? You find yourself in a free fall. You want to have kids, but it's just not happening in the way that you thought it was going to happen, in the way that you anticipated this was all going to look. As Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let's just confess together here this morning that we live in a challenging world. There are challenges being single. There are challenges getting married. There are challenges being married. There are challenges staying married. There are challenges having children. There are challenges raising children. There are challenges being children of aging parents. There are challenges of raising children and then seeing them move away. There are challenges of raising children and never seeing them move away. I mean, we love you, but you're 47 years old. Are you ever going to grow up and move out? 
And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. For them, they're in the middle of this free fall and they have this conversation around the table together. And this is a critical, critical conversation. It's not just critical for them, but it is critical for us today as well. As we read back on these words and we reflect on these words, it was guidance for their lives, but it's guidance for our own lives this morning as well. Let's see together what Jesus would say next here in John chapter 14 and verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. But then he goes on and he says something rather significant here. He says this, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, there's something very critical that I don't want you to miss here. In chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, these conversations that take place between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is going to say repeatedly in a number of different ways that he and the Father are on the same level, are on the same plane. He says things like, the Father and I are one. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I only speak the words that the Father gives to me. And so here in verse 1 where he says, believe in God, believe also in me. I just need you to know something that Jesus here is saying that he is equal with God, that he is God. And maybe that is exactly what you needed to hear today and to reflect on today. Maybe you walked in today and you were thinking like, you know, I, I, I believe that there is a God out there. I, I, I just don't think that, I don't know what to think about this Jesus thing. I mean, I look around the world, I, I see all of the intricacies, I think about everything that has been created, and I realize there is a higher being, there is a God out there, but I'm just not sure about this Jesus thing. I just need you to hear the words of Jesus here. As he speaks to his disciples and he says, believe in God, believe also in me. It is not just about God, but Jesus. Jesus is actually the specific revelation of God in this world. That Jesus is God. I think that Jesus is saying here to his disciples, guys, you need to trust me here. You need to trust in God. You need to trust also in me. He's going to get arrested. He's going to be beaten up. He is going to be suspended in the air on a Roman cross. And he just says, listen, things are going to get really crazy really fast. You need to trust me here. I think that one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray when we find ourselves in a free fall is, God, I trust in you. I don't like what's happening. I don't understand what's happening. God, would you please rescue me from what is happening? But God, I trust your plans in the midst of what is happening right here. That's what Jesus says. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. Jesus continues on in this conversation. Immediately, he starts talking about their home. Verse 2, he says this, In my Father's home are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, if you've been raised in church and you're my age or maybe a little bit older, you probably have heard these verse, this verse read in the King James, and it goes something like this, In my Father's house are many mansions. 
Now, now you read that and you think, wow, I think I like the King James Version. I mean, I had a mansion there. This says I have a room. I mean, how did I go from a mansion to a room in all of this? What happened? How did that happen? Well, in the Latin translation of the Bible, the word that is used here, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's mansiones or something like that. And in the King James, when they, they translated this into English from the Latin, the English translators uh, read, read this word, and they, they took the way it sounded, and they said, let's translate this as mansions. Now, that, that Latin word that is used there, it simply means a dwelling place. And the idea behind this whole thing is this, is that God, God is the one who has this massive, massive mansion. And it is large enough, it has room enough, God has room enough in his mansion for you. Let that sink in for a moment. God's home is so large. And on the sign out front, it says vacancy. There is room in his house for you. That's a big thought. The, the thought here is about dwelling with God. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Uh, let me just give you a little bit of a history of the Bible in like three minutes here, okay? The, the first place that's described in the Bible, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Adam and Eve are placed there, and they are in the dwelling place where God is. There is no separation from God's world and our world. There is no separation from his presence and our presence. The image is there of God and he is walking through the garden in this perfect paradise with man. This perfect paradise, though, it doesn't last forever. Because of the fall, because of sin, death also enters into this world. And now there, is, there are things like abandonment and betrayal and desertion. There is lying and stealing and coveting. There is uh, abuse and deception. There is sin and death. And so we live in this world, and yet there are still some evidences of the original beauty of this world, but it is badly, badly damaged. Now there is a separation from us and the place where God dwells. There is a, a major theme that you can trace throughout the story of the Bible, and, and it is God is in the business of restoring things back to the way that they were at the beginning as he had created them to be in the Garden of, uh, the Garden of Eden. Now, if you fast forward, you fast forward to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Get to chapters 20 and 21, and God uh, gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what this future is going to look like, of what our future as believers is going to look like. Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John, one of the guys who was sitting there in this upper room with Jesus at this last supper. John is now an old man. He gets this vision from the Lord, and here is what he writes. This is beginning in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The beginning of the Bible speaks about God dwelling with us. You get to the end of the Bible and it speaks about God dwelling with us, with us dwelling with God. And here is Jesus and he is in the middle of the scriptures here and literally just hours away from the crucifixion. And he says, you know what, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can dwell with God. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I mean, maybe you picture him with this hard hat on and this construction belt around his waist. And he's kind of hanging drywall in order to get your room ready. But, but I want you to notice one small little word here in verse 2 and, uh, of John chapter 14. It's the word go. And he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is going to talk about going away. He's talking about it several times in this section of John, chapters 14, 15, 16. And, and I think that this idea of going away, it, it actually refers to uh, multiple different events. He talks about going to a place that they cannot follow him to. And I think that he's talking about the crucifixion. I think that he's talking about how he's going to be going to the cross. And he is going to pay for the sin of the world. For your sin and for my sin. I think that the idea of going away here, it also involves the resurrection that would happen three days after his death. And I think that it involves something that we refer to as the ascension. Forty days later, he would go to his father because he had completed the mission here on this earth. And so when Jesus talks about going, I don't think that it's talking about how he's going to work on a room for us that he's preparing. But, but I think that what it means here is, I think what he's saying is, you know what, tomorrow I am going to die so that I can prepare a place for you to dwell in the presence of God. And I am uh, preparing you for that as well. I am willing to give up my life for all of the brokenness that is in your life, all of the sin that is in your life, so that you and God can dwell in the exact same place. Now, I think that this can be really challenging in any culture, but I think it can be particularly challenging in our culture today as we think about this, because we are in this culture of speed. I mean, we have internet, but it's not just any internet. We have to have high-speed internet. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And there's something inside of us that just says, you know what? I, I just can't wait. Do I have to wait for this? I really don't know if I can wait. God is in the business of telling a good story. He is in the business of telling a long story. And what if my difficult, I'm in a difficult season of life right now? What if I'm on a tough page? What if I'm on a challenging page of this long story that God is telling? What I hope that you'll see here is that this is a long story and that we need to have a long view on these things. I know that living in a culture of speed can be challenging because we want things and we want them right now. 
I mean, there used to be a time in the early 1800s where the fastest that you could go was to ride a galloping horse. But then came the train. Now, we have a picture this morning of the first train that was made, and it made this trip in uh, 1832. Uh, this is the first time in human history when you could travel faster than a galloping horse for a long, sustained period of time. We now have cars and planes, and it's not just traveling over long distances, but it is traveling with speed. I mean, I, I can get on a plane this afternoon, I could fly to Europe, I could stay there for like three or four days, fly back home, you wouldn't even know that I was gone. We can travel fast, uh, faster than ever before. And, and yet, you would think that that would make us more and more patient, but it really doesn't. In fact, we are more impatient today than we have ever been. We can fly to Australia in like 21 hours, but... We get upset and we get frustrated because we have to wait in line at the airport for 21 minutes. And it's not just the speed of traveling, but I can drive down the street and not even know that I'm hungry. Six minutes later, I can uh, have this flame-broiled burger and fries from Portillo's, and I didn't even have to get out of the car to get it. Or you think about this. <laughs> What is this? Well, this is an envelope, and there used to be a time, for some of you maybe, you, maybe you've never heard of this, but there used to be a time when people would write letters, and they would uh, put them in envelopes like this, they would put stamps on the front of this, and they would put this in the mailbox. A few days later, it would arrive in Florida. Uh, the, the person who was getting the letter would open this letter, they would read it, they would type up their own letter, they would put it in an envelope with stamps on it, they would send it back to you, and miracle of miracles, you could have a response back to your letter in like eight days. Now, however, we have these things, <laughs> and we have these phones, and we can access our emails and phone calls and text messages wherever we are at any time of the day or the night. Listen, I, I like being able to fly, and I like speed, and I like being able to get burgers at fast food places, and I like smartphones, but there is something about a speed culture that kind of sets us up for failure. It sets us up for disappointment when we have to wait for things, and we think we have to have it right now. What Jesus is saying is this is a long story. You and I are in a long story and there are going to be days and there are going to be circumstances that feel overwhelming and feel difficult and feel challenging. But we just need to remind ourselves of this truth. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. There are some wounds that will only be healed over time. Sometimes it is going to take a long time. Some wounds may not be healed this side of heaven. But guess what? You're not home yet. Jesus is sitting around this table with 11 disciples and he says, you know what? Let not your hearts be troubled. This is a long story. You need to have a long view. I am going to prepare a place for you so that you can dwell with God and God can dwell with you. You hear this and from, you hear this from Jesus right away. Maybe some questions start coming to your mind about what this place is going to be like. I mean, what's this place going to be like that you're preparing for us? What are we going to be doing when we get there? Well, Jesus addresses this immediately in verse 3. 
And he doesn't talk about what is going to be there. But he talks about and, and moves to talking about their future home. And he talks about his longing. Verse 3, Jesus says this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. When Jesus is talking about the future world, he doesn't describe to them where, where it is that they are, what's going to be in this place that they're going to be at. But he talks about the fact that the disciples, they are going to be there and that he is going to be there and they're going to be together. And he has this longing to be together with them. I wonder, have you ever had a deep longing for someone? I have a picture this morning of our four kids when they were babies, and uh, particularly I think about when they were first born. And you know, standing there in that hospital room and holding them for the first time, how precious they were, and they still are. And I, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, maybe holding your child or holding a grandchild, but, but the thought that came to my mind in that moment is, you know what, I would trade everything for this child. That in that moment, as I held my children, if someone had said to me, listen, you know what, you can keep your child, but you're going to have to give up every other material thing that you have. You're going to have to give up all your clothes and your house and your cars. You know what, I, I don't even think, I, I wouldn't even have to think about it. It's not even really a choice, right? I, I, I would start all over gladly with everything else in this life if I could have my kids. You know, Sue and I, we, we love being around our kids. We love spending time together as a family. And it doesn't seem like these things happen as much these days as we might like. I mean, we're going in different directions so many uh, days and so much of the time. And so about a week and a half ago, we were all in our home, in our living room together. And we were sitting there on the couch and we we're watching a TV show. I wasn't even watching what was really going on. I was watching my kids. And I was thinking about how great it was to be around them. And, and, and you know what? We, we weren't even really interacting with each other in that moment. We were just sitting there beside each other. And yet this is so enjoyable that I'm there and they're there. I have a question for you. What if Jesus has this deep longing to be with you? What if Jesus has a deeper longing to be with me than I do to be around my children? I want to show you something. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in a few weeks, but just give you a little bit of a preview here. This is a critical conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Just moments before he's arrested, moments before he is crucified on the cross. This is John chapter 17, and he is praying. And as Jesus prays, John is going to later write this prayer down. And Jesus prays, and he prays for himself. And he prays for the 11 disciples who are there. And then he prays for you and for me. Did you know that Jesus prays for you and for me? There's this point in the prayer and Jesus says, Father, I'm not just praying for the 11 here who are standing right beside me. But I'm praying for those who will believe in me because of their testimony. He prays for those who will believe. And here's what he prays. This is John chapter 17 and verse 24. He says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am 
to see my glory that you have given me before, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know, Jesus is praying for Christians who are yet to come. And he says, you know what, I, I just want them to be with me where I am. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing thought. That Jesus, he didn't want us to just get into heaven, but he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be in his very presence. He was willing to do what it took. He was willing to go to the cross to be the substitute in our place so that he could make that happen for us. Jesus, Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus talks about trusting God. He talks about dwelling with God. He talks about his longing for them to be with him. You would think that this would reassure the disciples, but it doesn't. It seems to totally confuse them. Verse 4, Jesus says, and you know where I am going. He has talked about this over the last six months leading up to this. He's talked about this as, as they've walked together along the way. He has been trying to tell them, listen, this Messiah thing is not just about glory and recognition. In fact, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be beaten up and I'm going to be killed. And now Jesus says, okay, you understand where all of this is leading to, right? Verse 5, Thomas, one of the disciples, he kind of speaks up for all of the disciples here and he says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He says, you know what, if you were going to Canaan, Cana, we know how to get there. Or if you were going to Galilee, we know how to get there. If you're going to Bethlehem, we know how to get there. But we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know how to get there? Now, Jesus does not really answer the question here. He does not talk more about going to the cross. But in this moment, he, he doesn't talk about the way that he is going to go, but he talks about the way that they are going to go. And so he moves from talking about trusting in God to the dwelling, uh, dwelling with God to Jesus longing for them. And now he talks about our hope, our hope. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been around church for a while, you have probably heard this next statement before. But maybe you, you don't really know or never really understood or heard the context before. And so verse 6, here's what it says. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He does not explain again to them the way that he is going to go, but he explains to them the way that they need to go. And Jesus looks at Thomas and he looks at the other disciples and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In just a few hours, he is going to be carrying the post of a Roman cross through the winding streets of Jerusalem. But he just wants them to know that he is the way. Later on that night, there's going to be a trial. And there are going to be lies told about him. There are going to be all of these false accusations that are thrown his way. But he just needs them to know that he is the truth. Three o'clock in the afternoon... He is going to be a battered corpse. He is going to be staked on this Roman cross. But he wants them to know that he is the life. That he is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only hope that we have. 
If you want to know uh, how to get to God the Father, the only way that you can get there is through Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a culture today that is a pluralistic culture where there are all of these options of what we could believe in. And so when Jesus stands uh, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, he makes this really strong uh, uh, statement here. And it can really rile some people up in our day and age when they hear something like that. I just want you to think about the guys in that room that Jesus is talking to, though, as he's sitting there with his disciples. In the months and years to come, these 11 guys are going to be scattered throughout the Greek and the Roman world. And there are all of these different gods that are going to be at different places, in different cities, different temples in every city that they come to. On top of that, there are temples that are built to emperors in that day. Because people viewed the emperor as being God themselves. And so um, there were temples there where they would worship these emperors in different cities. And, and so people would say things like, Nero is Lord. Or they would say, you know what, Caesar is Lord. And if you said, no, Jesus is Lord, you knew that you were going to be in some real trouble. Because you were saying that somebody else is not Lord. And that would make people very upset. As these disciples are about to go out into the Greek and Roman world with all of these different gods all over the place, with emperor worship, Jesus just wants to make it very clear. He says, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one, no one comes to God the Father except through me. He says that not because he hates people or because he just wants to work people up and start a riot or something. No, he says that because he so deeply loves each and every person. That, that he desires that we might trust in God, that we might dwell with him in this restored and perfect paradise forever. He wants people to know about the greatest love story ever. That God, that, that Jesus came and gave his life so that we might experience real life ourselves. This is an absolutely critical conversation. These disciples are going to be in a free fall. Their, their hearts are going to be swirling. And I can't help but to think that maybe some of you here this morning feel that way as well. Or maybe you will feel that way in the not too distant future. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And know that his greatest desire is that you would dwell with him. And he went to the cross. He went to the greatest lengths. He laid down his life so that that could happen. He is preparing a place for those who have trusted in him. So that we can dwell with him forever and ever. And in the meantime, be encouraged. Hold on. Trust in the fact that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We cannot come to God the Father except through him. But he has provided a way. Let's pray.